Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we almost all agree that boomers are the problem. I'm Karen Peterson. (laughs) I don't. I know. You guys can think that way, but like I have, let's talk about Gen X, Karen. Let's talk about it. Don't even get me started on Gen Z, young whippersnappers (laughs) with your with your TikToks and your your YouTubes. I don't know. So if you weren't sure, I am joined by Lauren Humphreys Brooks. (laughs) Hi. Hi. Always. And we have very special guests today. I'm so happy to welcome Cortland Jacoby. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Cortland. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, I... My name is Cortland. Uh, I live in DC and I am a writer, a film writer. Yeah. Where do you write? Uh, I write for Punch Drunk Critics, which is a local DC based uh, website. Um, And uh, I also freelance as well. So yeah, it's been fun. Awesome. Well, I am friends with your boss and that is how we ended up meeting we met at the middleburg film festival right back in october yes yes we did that was fun it was fun that was a good festival i liked it it's a nice little festival it's it's very i don't want to say humble but it's very like you know it's not a sundance it's not a venice it's very it's aware of what it is i think yeah it's it's definitely so i a few years ago i got to go to the hamptons film festival and there are Mm -hmm. some similarities between the two because you're in areas that are pretty um um wealthy and white yes (laughs) (laughs) and um and but it's these communities that do support the arts and and really do have a love for film and so it's this kind of interesting blend of people that you hang out with when you're at these small uh, film festivals in very wealthy areas and um I don't know there's something about Middleburg that I found really um like just comfortable I definitely am not wealthy so I did not fit in in that way but um it just it was just a nice chill festival everyone's just like there to just talk and and have some fun so but we also got to hang out last last week two weeks ago at Sundance Mm-hmm. and that was really fun it was different this year didn't you think um yeah I mean this was my first year attending oh that's right person. that's right um so I didn't really have much to compare it to except my couch last year which was <laughs> you know this year was a lot better than that but um <laughs> definitely different yeah uh I it did feel like a little bit more understated than I was expecting but I think that also was because of the number of people who were attending. I mean, attendance was definitely down, I think across the board, but also among critics. Um, It just didn't have the same 
vibe. Like I was expecting for some of these screenings to, you know, either be put out, like I wouldn't be able to get in or, um, yeah, I was expecting like a lot more people and that never happened. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was talking about that last week too. It just, it was, you could tell there were a lot fewer people there, like even the shuttles, they only had two shuttles. Usually they have like six or seven routes. Yeah. They only had two. And I never was on a shuttle where I couldn't get a seat, (laughs) stuff like that. It was just weird. But um, anyway, so really quickly, and then we'll move into our main topic of the week. But um, what were a couple of your favorite films that you saw at Sundance? Um, My favorite film of Sundance is one that I just feel like not enough people are talking about. Um, It's. Erica Tremblay's Fancy Dance. Um, Erica is a writer and sometimes director on the television show Reservation Dogs and um, Indigenous life and Indigenous issues are very, very important to her. And that definitely comes through in Fancy Dance. Um, Fancy Dance stars Lily Gladstone as a parolee who's living on the reservation with her sister and her niece um and when her sister becomes one of the many indigenous women uh who are missing the custody of her niece comes up uh into question um and so she, uh her niece roki is eventually taken away from her um and she has to figure out how to get her to a powwow which is like the one thing that she promised before um, her mom left. Um, so it's, it sounds very dark and very heavy. It's actually not. Um, she, Tremblay, who also wrote the script, uh, co-wrote the script, uh, is, is very, very, uh, careful with the tone. How cohesive this film is, is just astonishing. She's very, very careful with the tone. Um, yeah, it's a really, really beautiful film. Very well done. We're going to see a lot of Lily Gladstone in the next two years. Um, she's going to be in Martin Scorsese's, uh, the killings of the flower moon in the next, I guess this year, I guess it's coming out this year. Um, so I'm sure that she'll get a lot of recognition for that, but I hope she gets some recognition for this because it's really, really well done. Um, so that's definitely one of my favorites. Awesome. And then, I didn't get to see that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think a lot of critics did, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I, I don't think so. And I'm looking to see. I don't think it's been bought yet either. It hasn't. Um, and it didn't win anything, which mm-hmm. I think is a shame. Because um, there is some stuff that won that I definitely think this was better than. Um, that always happens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also really liked. Uh, a film that you did see, I believe, Flora and Son, which is a very different vibe. It is John Carney's latest musical and it's just fun and it's dreamy. Like it's the definition of dreamy and Eve Hewson gives a amazing standout performance um, as this Irish mom who uh, wants to learn guitar kind of out of spite. to get back at her ex, but also to sort of bond with her kid. Uh, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays a, a guitar teacher who's based in LA and they meet over Zoom and they he teaches her how to play guitar. And it's just really great. 
and fun. And uh, that's one I'll definitely try to see in theaters again after. Well, now that Sundance stuff is definitely over, but um, yeah. So that's I definitely. I talked about it last week, and I said it's just such a nice movie. <laughs> it's just nice, nice. yeah. <laughs> and oftentimes at Sundance, you have these like very very like intense, intense like you know morally route films, and and this was just a nice little breather. A nice little break. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> I also loved the way that, and I don't want to give anything away for folks, but I loved the way that they found to put um Eve Hewson and Joseph Gordon Levitt in the same room for oh, their scenes, yeah. even though they're talking over Zoom. I loved that. Yeah. 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 And you can still feel like it's it's really romantic. It's very great. I think it's one of my favorite John Carneys. I mean, nothing beats Sing Street. Um, yeah. But it's up there. Yeah, definitely. So cool. Any others you wanted to mention? Final one I will mention is past lives by Celine song. Um, it's a love triangle that is done with the most empathy that I have ever seen. It's just, it's really smart. Um, and is about a, um, I, I guess you would describe them as young lovers, like first loves. <laughs> um, they're both from South Korea and the girl Nora um, immigrates to the US when they're young and so they lose touch. And so we meet them at various points in their lives where they reconnect and the timing is never right. Um, and then they meet, the last time they meet, she's married and they have kind of this you know, will they, won't they kind of vibe, um, which sounds very boring and done. However, like I said, I've never seen a, a film like this with so much empathy um, and like slight humor. Like it's everything. Uh, if you're laughing, it's it's very, very um, hidden, I guess. I, maybe that's not the best way to describe it. Um, but it is one of the best films that I've seen. Greta Lee plays Nora. Um, John Magaro, I think I'm saying his last name right, from um, the Umbrella Academy. He is her husband. Um, and it's just really well done and based on the director's life. Um, and so highly recommend Past Lives. if, uh, And that's being um, distributed by A24. So we should probably see that, I'm guessing, this summer or fall. Yeah. Yeah. I missed that one too. I'm so sad. A24 actually, I think co-produced it. So they brought yeah. it to Sundance. So it, it wasn't one that sold floor and Sun I mentioned last week, but um, just to remind folks, it was bought by Apple at the, at the festival. So it'll like be 20 mil. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be on Apple TV plus and in theaters at some point this year too. So awesome. Well, thank you. Thanks for letting me share. Yeah. Um, anything that people should avoid. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, to do that if you don't want to. Think. Um, <laughs> yeah, the pod generation. Oh. Um, with Amelia Clark and Chiwetel Ejiofor. Um, that it, was really mixed. Yeah, I heard a lot of mixed, leaning, bad reactions to that one. It's a two-hour. Black Mirror episode that's just not well done. Mm. Um, and none of the emotional weight that you need it to have, it doesn't have any of it. 
um, everybody's just annoying. The world's annoying. The people are annoying. Like it, I just couldn't, it was very, very hard to get through. Um, and so that's about how in the not so distant future, a company like Amazon owns everything, including uh, little pods where you can um, incubate babies instead of having to carry them yourself. And um, instead of like exploring that in a certain way, they just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's really <laughs> hard to describe this because just so much about it is just frustrating. They don't ever really get their point across, I think, in the way that they want to. Um, so I wouldn't really recommend that, that uh, the pod generation. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's another one I did not see. So we actually, it's funny because I saw 20 movies. You saw what, 16, 17? Mm-hmm. And sure. our overlap was actually not that much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I also like, you know, going to the festival with somebody else from your outlet, you know, you try to spread out as best you can. Yeah. Um, I don't think I uh, saw a lot that he saw either. So um, yeah. Yeah. That's probably true. So yeah, it was, it was just overall and it was a good festival. I thought it was interesting to see some of the discourse on Twitter of people complaining that there wasn't a lot good. And I was like, I haven't seen anything bad. (laughs) I saw like some mediocre stuff there, you know, there wasn't like a coda. There wasn't. uh, Yeah. Even last year, there were two films I absolutely loved fresh and good luck to Leo grand. And there wasn't really that here this year, but there was some good stuff, you know, there, Nothing I fell absolutely in love with, but that's not going to be every single festival. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, thank you so much. And let's go ahead and talk about our main topic today, which is Sandy B. We're talking Sandra Bullock. This, so (laughs) this episode's topic has gone on a journey. And I will tell you. <laughs> so, That's one way to describe it. Yes. So what do you want to do? I well, we should do this, but what movies would we do? But I don't yeah. know. What movies do you want to do? Yeah. So basically it started off with, hey, I really have been meaning to watch Shotgun Wedding with Jennifer Lopez. Hey, me too. You know what we should do? Let's do an episode on romantic action comedies. And then I watched Shotgun Wedding. And said, I don't want to do this. (laughs) So one of the other movies that had come up in our conversation was The Lost City with Sandra Bullock. And then somewhere in there, we started talking and I was just like, you know, we could just do a Sandra Bullock episode and include speed and um, miscongeniality. And uh, so that's what we're doing. (laughs) So this episode, it wasn't it wasn't intended to be all about Sandra Bullock. It was more intended for the romantic comedy action hybrid thing, which apparently, according to IMDb, Jennifer Lopez just invented this last month with (laughs) (laughs) with Shotgun Wedding. And I am so tired of people on the Internet forgetting history, especially on the website that is all about, like, keeping track of the history of movies. Especially, especially like recent history, none of these films, like some of the ones that we were talking about. So we mentioned Romancing the Stone, right? Mm -hmm. Which is probably, I think that was the oldest one on our list. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, and and it's like, okay, these are not 
old movies, particularly. No, first uh, of all, first of all, like, you know, we could talk about what old movies are we have before. But <laughs> but the idea that like, you know, th- this has been going on for a long time. I'm perfectly happy that it's having it seems to be having a resurgence. Yeah. That, like we're getting these kinds of, of lighter action comedies with this romance element i'm absolutely happy with that whether or not they're good movies necessarily and it sounds like shotgun wedding is not mm. but um yeah uh I, I do find it funny to just say oh we've invented a new genre it's just like it's literally a genre <laughs> first of all it's a genre that has existed in various forms for like very long time oh you've combined action romance and comedy what a novel thing <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Never I happened mean, before. Our list of movies that we were talking about just for that category was like, I don't know, 10 or 15 movies off the top of our heads without any research. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but I did watch Shotgun Wedding and I, I'm happy that Jennifer Lopez is doing movies again because, you know. I liked Marry Me last year. It was cheesy as hell. It was super predictable. Was it fun also? Yes, it was. And so I don't fault her for doing this one, but she needs to not try to pretend that she's still 25. Well, and I think when we talk about Lost City, uh, I think that we should talk about that as well. The the age, the age question. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. Yes. Because yes, one movie did that much better than the other. So um, let's go in the order of release here. So um, first first of all, we have Speed. Now, this was not the first movie for Sandra Bullock. She had done uh, several things. She started out kind of in the 80s. Um, but this really was her breakout role. Nobody really knew who she was before this movie came along. Keanu Reeves had already done two Bill and Ted movies. He had done Dangerous Liaisons. He had done Dracula. Um So it's like people knew who he was, but he hadn't really done this like big action movie before. He certainly hadn't headlined one. So uh, just getting this movie made and cast was a bit of a challenge. But um, Speed came out in 1994. And if if anybody has not seen Speed, I... I don't understand how that happened. I know, Cortland, you just watched it for the first time. Yeah. I guess age is probably a factor because it did yeah. come out in 1994. Uh, the the year I was born. Yeah. Oh, um, all right. The year I graduated awful. from high school. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, too, that I have a lot of hometown pride for Sandy B um, because she is from my hometown, which is very, very cool. Oh, so, that's um, awesome. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you met her? no i mean when i say hometown i mean like a suburb of dc so <laughs> you know it's it's not like it's you know the middle of nowhere so no, I, yeah, I haven't i haven't met her um i do know people who went to school with her though that's awesome um, and they always said that she was really quiet and kind so that's yeah. good to know i yeah. stood next to her at a party once but we did not speak <laughs> Anyway, so Speed, yeah, it came out in 1994. Um, it's about a bomb uh, bomb expert. Um, what's, what's the word? He works for the bomb squad. There's like a word. But anyway. Uh, bomb, bomb, bomb guy. Bomb, <laughs> yes. bomb expert. Yes, he's a bomb guy. And uh, so basically, uh, Keanu Reeves plays this L.A. cop. And 
uh, he thwarts a bombing at a high-rise building in downtown LA. And uh, the bomber, who is played by Dennis Hopper, and we'll talk about that in a second, um, he gets he decides to get back at Keanu Reeves and also the entire city of Los Angeles by putting a bomb on a bus. And it will explode if it goes below 50 miles per hour. Called the bus that couldn't slow down. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I cannot, I honestly cannot watch Speed. I've seen Speed in a number of times, but I cannot watch Speed without just thinking of The Simpsons. And just like, and the speed of the bus couldn't go under 50 miles an hour. I think it was called the bus that couldn't slow down. And I really wish that this was called the bus that couldn't slow down, to, to be honest. Like, I bet that was much, an original title. That's a much better title. Like, <laughs> um, All right. So, um who would like to go first i would really like to hear from Cortland, who has just seen this yeah. for the first time because and <sighs> and i here's the thing i know that this movie is very much a time capsule of the 1990s it's specifically a time capsule of los angeles in 1994 it could not have happened at any other time in history for a few reasons one of which is that it was filmed on the 105 freeway which had just finished construction but was not open yet and that is actually a major plot point in the movie um and then also the metro was under construction and they had just finished one line of it at the time uh so there's just certain things about this movie that would never have happened if it had been filmed any other time in history so (laughs) i understand it is very much a 90s action movie um definitely copaganda um yeah yeah (laughs) so all right so Cortland, what are your thoughts on speed um i have so many thoughts um and (laughs) not to milk that i'm 28 but i might need some historical context because i could not tell if people liked this movie in 1994 or not um i i uh i really first of all, there are parts of it that are absolutely still very thrilling, um, which there are some of the action scenes that really do hold up. Um, I, it was a lot. There's a elevator uh, heist kind of thing where there's a bomb in an elevator and then you're on the bus for a while. And then you mentioned the subway. So I feel like you can mention the train. Um, This is the planes, trains, and automobiles of like, thriller (laughs) you know like i like that that's a good description (laughs) it really is um and so like i uh yeah i had a lot of thoughts i really liked the idea when they're on the bus i really liked that i liked how contained it was um i feel like it's a really great device for storytelling and we can really like humanize with the people who might die um and some of the people include like beth grant um, and Alan Ruck, and then obviously Sandra B, um, Sandy B driving it at one point. Um, yeah, I really did like parts of it. I felt that Sandra Bullock's character has the problem that a lot of these movies in the nineties and even now have, which is that she's like severely underwritten, um, we know like three things about her the entire movie, like what her name is, where she went to school, which we only know that because 
it's part of the plot. <laughs> um, and I think that she lost her license. Like those are like the three things we know and we don't really know anything else. Um, and uh, yeah, so I have a lot of like mixed, <laughs> mixed things about, about speed. It's, it's very, I mean, it's very much a vehicle for Keanu Reeves like that. It is. It's quite really right from the beginning. Yeah. And you've got like him and his BFF, Jeff Daniels, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which I was so, I loved seeing Jeff Daniels. I'm a, I'm a really big Jeff Daniels fan. And so to see him and be like, Oh, he's in this nice. Okay. Um, I loved that. Yeah. And, yeah. He, and he plays, I think a really f- a fun character, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that the sort of mutton Jeff sort of relationship um, <laughs> yeah. between the two of them. And so, so yeah, so I, I think that that's part of Sandra Bullock in some ways is she's the girl. Right. Um, and, and she's the, the secondary character, but, but really it's a movie about and, and focusing on Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Well, and that's the thing is like, we don't really know much about him either. Just to your point about we don't, we only learn these specific things about her. It's really not a movie. It's not a character study and it's not about the characters. It's about the situation and just immediately getting out of this situation. So um, just, yeah, that that's... Well, and to, to speak to that, that question of like, so the, those definitely the strongest parts of the film are when they actually get on the bus, when you've got that kind of, first of all, you've got this group of people. And one of the things I really like about it is that at at one point, I think one of the characters says, you know, why us, why, why is he doing this to us? And Keanu Reeves is just like there because you happen to be there. Like it's, this has nothing to do with you basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of like that, that it's this group of people who just happen to be on the wrong bus at the wrong time. And you don't know tons about them. You know, like the one guy is a tourist, you know, another guy is like wanted for something, but even then like we never find out what he's actually wanted for all of these different things. And they're just all happen to be together on the same bus that this happens on. And it's about them sort of trying to organize themselves and trying to um, trying to behave in a way that will, you know, get them through and everything. And that's definitely the strongest part of the film uh, yeah. because you're asked to, to focus on these characters and you're asked to um, kind of understand them. And in a lot of ways to put yourself in their place, you get on this, you get on a bus and suddenly you're in, you know, the middle of, of a chase and someone is going to blow you up and like all of those kind of funny trappings of mm-hmm. the the film um they the film makes you feel really sympathetic to these characters about whom you don't know very much yeah well I, yeah one of the mm. things that i love about the way that the that the characters are um developed even though we never really know much about any of them in fact most of them we never even learn what their names are um, but they each kind of get a little bit of personality. Um, you know, you have Alan Ruck playing this tourist and he's like just annoying. <laughs> and then eventually, but you even start to feel bad for him too. Cause it's like this poor guy, he's visiting town and this happens to him <laughs> when he leaves the airport. <laughs> it's like this first time in LA. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, and I, I do like, he, he has a great life. Just like, Where, this is the airport. I've seen I already the airport. Seen the airport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and i just 
it, well, and there's even that moment too when the passengers are starting to break down because of the emotion of what they're going through. And the one construction worker guy is like, I can't be here. I have a family. And then another guy's like, what? So I don't, so I'm expendable. And it's like, yeah, I would totally feel that in that scene too. Like what? I don't have kids so I can die and it's fine. You know? Um, yeah. So, so I think that they did find a good, good ways to at least introduce some personality into these people so that we do care about what happens to them. We're invested in them all getting off this bus. Um, we're on it too right getting Keanu on the the bus is like a whole ordeal (laughs) and I was invested in that uh Jaguar owner just in general I know he's only on for like five minutes (laughs) but he's great (laughs) yeah he's so memorable when he's just like yeah yeah get on the bus yeah do that (laughs) get away from me (laughs) the poor guy and it's like you can tell he just bought that car it's his pride and joy oh yeah so something um, just to answer a question or, you know, you mentioned before you wanted some context to this. So yeah, I very much remember this movie. Like I said, it came out when I gra- the year I graduated from high school. It actually came out the week before I graduated from high school. Um, and it was very, very popular. It was like the most popular movie of the summer, if I remember correctly. Um, but it was one that even when it came out, people recognized the silliness of it. It was just so thrilling that it was like, oh yeah, this is fun. And people like, I mean, they were making fun of how it's just like every, it's, it's like one ridiculous thing after another. Like everyone was very aware of that. This was not a movie that people took seriously. And as far as like, oh yes, this would definitely happen. It was more of just like, this is really thrilling and I'm along for this ride. So. And I have to say, the film does that every once in a while as well. Like when he mm. punctures the gas tank <laughs> with his, and just like, well, well, now we're leaking fuel. And and she says, what, you just needed a bigger challenge? You <laughs> yeah, just needed exactly. something else? <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I, I do like that the film every once in a while will kind of acknowledge the ridiculousness of the situation without mm-hmm. making it, it's like, this is a serious situation and we need to we need to get these people off of the bus until the bus explodes. But also <laughs> this is silly as fuck. Like, oh right. my God, how is this happening? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I love that one of the things that I think really makes it work and keeps the action, pro- you know, propelling forward is the fact that like you don't know what the next challenge is going to be. So it's like they have one thing and they're dealing with that in the moment. And then it's like, they'll worry about whatever's going to happen next when they get there. And so it's like the first challenge is finding the bus. The second is getting him onto the bus. Then the third is like, we're in the city. We can't be in the city (laughs) driving 50 miles an hour, especially at this time of the morning. You know, so it's like then, okay, so we're going to get onto the freeway. But, oh, it's a flat. It's like a right turn. You can't just like coast onto the freeway. You know, so it's like just all these challenges and then jumping the bus, which is a whole other thing. Um, which is classic and I will defend it to my oh, dying day it's they, jump, they jump the thing because it's gotta go faster it's great and Love they it. actually jumped a bus I'm just saying that was real <laughs> they didn't jump it over a gap they took the gap out digitally but they did build a ramp and jump that bus so yeah although the logic of jumping a bus loaded with C4 <laughs> <laughs> That seems a little bit dangerous. Hey, look, but. he knew what he was doing. It's a well-constructed yeah. bomb. Like, right. you know, let's give Dennis Hopper some credit. True. True. <laughs> um, 
really quickly before we talk about Dennis Hopper, I just wanted to mention one of the things that I found so strange watching. I just rewatched it over the weekend um, for the first time in I do not know how long. And there's an overhead shot of Jack Keanu Reeves when he's in his own car racing to find the bus. And it's like this overhead shot. He's on the freeway and it looked like um, a shot from that. They've that they show all the time of like the OJ Simpson Bronco chase. Yeah. And I was just like, Oh, that's weird. And what was especially weird is the movie came out the week before the Bronco chase. Yeah, so it was, I was just like, oh, that's so strange that that's in there, even though it happened before. Like, it wasn't intentional is what I'm saying. It's just like a weird coincidence that that happened. So. It came out June 10th, right? 94? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And the Bronco chase was like the 14th or 15th. Yeah. That was five days before I, or after I was born, actually. Aww. Ironically. <laughs> <laughs> well, I celebrated your birth by going to the movies. By going to see Speed. I appreciate <laughs> I sure did. it. In fact, I think I saw it twice over i had a big keanu reeves face but um yeah and and, oh sorry i I was just gonna say just in terms of sandra bullock i like the balance between the two of them they're both very deadpan yes Mm -hmm. right sandra bullock is very like she's very believable as this woman who's just like i'm just trying to go to work (laughs) and now i'm driving a bus that's gonna explode like there there is that sort of like but she's very much in control she does she actually does get to do things, which a lot of women in these movies don't really get to do. Yeah. Um, and and I like the kind of rapport between the two of them. I believe it at the end where they're where they're just like, you know, let's just make out. Like, uh-huh. like I absolutely <laughs> accept that. I'm just like, yes, that's what I think that's totally reasonable. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, and I like the fact that no one ever acts like it's you know surprising or weird that it's a young woman who ends up being the one driving the bus it's just kind of like well she's the one that jumps up and does it so you know it's just we're just gonna roll with it It never it's not the person who ends up driving the bus isn't ever made to be a big deal like right yeah so i i liked that and um fun facts that i learned is that sandra bullock actually got like she learned really learned how to drive a bus and took the test and passed it on her first try (laughs) that's awesome yeah so i'm sure she doesn't still have her bus driving license but she got it she could have driven a bus in la good for her she could have so (laughs) yep definitely once before we like move on uh One thing I did want to bring up too, though, I recently saw a bullet train for the first time. Um, Yes. And watching bullet train and then watching speed is very interesting because I think there's a lot of, I mean, it's natural to compare the two because, you know, there is a train in both very different trains. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't think we'll ever get a bullet train in the U S but it's very, really, it's interesting to like watch that, right. To hear you hear Sandra Bullock's voice throughout a uh, bullet train without really, really seeing her. So in a way she's sort of like uh, Jeff Daniels character um, who's out of commission most of the movie um, and solving the actual mystery of who Dennis Hopper's character is. Um, but I don't know. I, I would like to see Sandra Bullock in another train movie or another like high speed <laughs> kind of <laughs> vehicle sort of thing uh for her um i don't know like it was, the trilogy yeah 
Yeah. Speed, speed three, put Sandra Bullock, like Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves get back together and they're on like a high speed train instead right. of a, like a bus or a boat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I will mention that speed two, um, which we did not choose to talk about. Um, I, I love how at the end of speed, she has that conversation with Keanu Reeves of like, yeah, uh, relationships based on extreme experiences never work out like okay well I guess we'll have to base it on sex then and so then in speed two which he did not want to come back for they have a new she has a new love interest and spends the entire movie talking about what an idiot Jack ended up being <laughs> like, terrible boyfriend <laughs> like not an idiot just like a terrible boyfriend and like oh yeah for my birthday he bought me pepper spray <laughs> like stuff like that <laughs> Well, they did the lake house. So, you know, it's very different kind of thrills there. Mm -hmm. True. So let's talk about Dennis Hopper as the villain of speed. Um, Lauren, you uh, (laughs) thoughts. Yes. I love Dennis Hopper in this movie. It's Dennis Hopper at his Dennis Hopperiest. Like he's, he's just, I, one of the things that we talked about this last night here, one of the things that I really like about him is that, he the entire film it's never like oh he's got these ulterior motives or anything like it's like no he wants the money <laughs> and they they in his view they screwed him out of the money the first time and so now he wants it he he wants it now right yeah. and that's the whole goal throughout the entire film he's just like I don't have any other reason to do this. I want my money, like period. <laughs> and so he's this wonderful combination of just total psychopath. Um who is also like, as, as they say, crazy, but smart. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, and, and has a very simple and very straightforward and the film never tries to give him further motivation beyond being like, Oh, he was a bomb expert in the, in the police. Right. Which makes sense to his character and everything. But no, he's, he's just like, I want to be paid and I'm going to get my money. You owe me my money. Give me my money. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and I think that he he does that character so well and he's so unhinged through the entirety of the film. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you believe that this is a guy, one, that would be a bomb expert, that would be like into yeah. this kind of thing. And and two, would be the sort of person that would just go absolutely bonkers and uh, and be like, I'm you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to blow up a bus. Mm hmm and yeah. and see see what you could do about it bitch like like that's basically <laughs> his attitude pop quiz hot shot <laughs> yeah and dennis hopper really does he sells it so well mm-hmm. as this like um white dude who feels like he's been wronged and his way of of getting what he feels is owed to him is to take it out on innocent people who have nothing to do with what happened to him like it's not even in the city where it happened to him. So it's not even in the same state because he's from Atlanta. It's like, yeah, sure, you idiot. Come out to L.A. and hurt these people. So, yeah, he, he totally sells that 100%. I really appreciated the amount of money he wanted wasn't that much. It was only like $3 million. Yeah, enough like, to retire on. It's enough to retire on, which i i could appreciate that i i that was a really really nice touch <laughs> so he's evil but he's not that greedy yeah yeah it wasn't like 30 million i had to like rewind i thought they said like you know 
30 million or 13 million. And no, it was three. And then, no, it was three for the um, elevator job. At, and then he ups it by 700,000. 3.7. Well, because the bus job took some time and planning and you wanted yeah. compensation for that. But not a full million. It, it, it's right. not worth a full million more, just 700,000. <laughs> That is well, a good you know, point. like he even he even says that he spent two years on the elevator job, and so he's just like, you know, you took this away from me. You took yeah. this away. I spent all of this time and effort and money to do this, and now it's like, now I got to do it again. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I also love the random um, mannequins in his his <laughs> in his bunker um, yeah. that are just there, and one's wearing a police suit. Didn't make any sense, but I loved it. I think that, and this is just my uh, my kind of knowledge of LA. I think that he was holed up in an abandoned warehouse in the fashion district, and that Got those it. mannequins okay. were just there. But uh, yeah, they never explain that. So that's just me going. I'm pretty sure this is where he is. <laughs> like I said, this is a very much an LA snapshot movie. So well, and I appreciated that, like it was a different kind of LA snatch shop movie. Like it was a very much, you know, working class every day yeah. kind of vibe that you saw, um, which, which I liked. It kind of reminded me how Causeway like showed New Orleans in a very like pedestrian kind of way um, and not just, you know, all the hustle and bustle of, of Bourbon Street. So I really, I appreciated that about, about speed. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Thank you. Um, okay, so two years after Speed, Sandra Bullock stars in now. This time she is the headliner. Sorry, this wasn't two years. This is like six. This was six, yeah, six, this was two thousand. For some reason, I was thinking it was ninety six. I don't know why. In two thousand, there there must have been another movie she did in ninety six that we were talking about talking about. I don't know. Anyway, Miss Congeniality. <laughs> <laughs> This time she's not driving a bus. She is an FBI agent and she goes undercover in the Miss United States beauty pageant, despite being uh quote unquote ugly. <laughs> See this, this film, I love this film for trying to convince us that at any point in throughout the entire movie, Sandra Bullock is unattractive. Like even <laughs> I feel like when that's she... the joke though. Like I feel like yeah. that's the whole point is that she's never gonna be unattractive. She's Sandra Bullock. <laughs> Well, and, and I, I do think that they they note a lot of the time that it isn't really the way that she looks, it's the way that she behaves, right? Yeah. It's like she, you know, eating the steak with all of the ketchup and, <laughs> you know, shirts with stains on them, all of that stuff that, uh, that a lot of it is not so much, oh, you can't possibly be beautiful. It's more like you are a total mess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, exactly. So um, what are your thoughts? thoughts either of you whoever wants to go first about miss congeniality i i'll start i have okay. mixed feelings about miss congeniality <laughs> okay. um because it it is one of those films i always kind of go back and forth about like is this sort of feministy or is this kind of reactionary and i, I do think that somewhere in between um i like the fact that you know it actually addresses the whole issue the, the issue of sexism in beauty pageants and the behavior of people around beauty pageants, but also really gives all of these women true characterization. Like by the time, by the time we actually get to the beauty pageant part, I think that that's where the film stops being sexist 
because earlier you've got this whole thing about like all of the dudes making very crass jokes, um, all of the commentary that like the Benjamin Bratt character has, even the Michael Caine character, who is I love Michael Caine in this movie, but he's also a total dick. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's and, why we love him is because he's a total and, dick. <laughs> and by the time they get to the beauty pageant and she actually gets to interact with these women that she has a great deal of contempt for initially uh, and begins to realize, hey, these are actual people who are, you know, intelligent and capable and are doing something that isn't easy, right? Being in a beauty pageant like that is not actually an easy thing to do. Um, I, I like the fact that the film fo- begins to focus more and more on these, these relationships and her friendships with the women that actually play into the, the end of the film uh, rather than like, oh, isn't it funny that this, you know, this unladylike lady is now going to do uh, a beauty pageant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carland. I okay. This movie is my Shawshank Redemption. If it was on TV as a kid, <laughs> I would watch it. Uh-huh. Um, so and it was on a lot. Like I think they switched like one weekend they would have like Shawshank and the next that they would have um miscommuniality. <laughs> I I, I have very similar feelings, I think, to Lauren, like watching it as an adult who's taken women's studies classes and, you know, has been through the Me Too movement and all of that. It, it's it's a very interesting watch. Um, I just the opening, the opening scene and how you don't really even see her face really. And it, you but you can already tell that, I mean, she's gorgeous, but she's frumpy kind of vibe. Um and, and then you have the whole sting operation um, and how she holds herself and carries herself there. Um, I don't know. It was just it was just very interesting watching that as as a full blown adult. Um, and then to have I don't remember Michael Caine's character being so dickish. Um, and then I watched it. I was like, oh, wow, what an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and. Um, how they made her so, or how she made herself really. So I I hate to use the word grotesque. Like I hate using these words from be grotesque to describe her um, early on in the movie, because I think she's just existing in her body the way that she wants to. Um, But the way that that's characterized, um, I just think it's, it's way too much over the top. Like you said, going on into the film, the female friendship parts, that's the best part of the movie. It's like as these women bond, um, the little song that she sings when she's showing people how to beat others up. I mean, like it's the best part of the whole film. Um, highly, 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 highly uh, recommend not doing that on the playground because uh, you'll <laughs> get in trouble. Um, yeah, we have zero tolerance rules now. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I got in trouble. I'm telling you that I, I did that uh, and had to sit out at recess. Aww. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't make contact with the kid, but I almost did. Anyway, yeah, uh, don't recommend doing that. But um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, can we just talk about how great Candace Bergen is in this? Yes. Yes. We definitely okay, yeah. can. Brilliant. Um, yes. So I, we, we, yeah, we'll talk about individual characters in, I okay. think in a second, okay. but yeah, I just want to say, cause I just watched this again last night for the first time in, I don't know how long. Um, and 
it's interesting because I love this movie. I still really love this movie, but um, there's definitely things that you notice more um, in 2023 that you might not have noticed in 2000 or 2002 or 2005. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting because I think one of the things that that um, really makes Sandra Bullock's character Gracie Hart. Uh, interesting is in that opening scene where um they're doing this sting operation and then they're ready to arrest this guy and he feigns that he's choking and she's told she's ordered stand back don't don't mm-hmm. don't jump in everybody hold your places but it's her she has this uh empathy and she's not willing to let someone die even if it means violating orders and i think that that is something that is really an important character character trait that gets yeah. established mm-hmm. right in the opening scene for her and it's something that even she doesn't necessarily recognize that she has in herself but it's what makes her a good agent and it what's it's what ultimately actually makes her perfect for this operation of going undercover at the beauty pageant that she absolutely does not want to go to um <laughs> but it, it's what makes her actually right for all of it. And I, I love that they established that without making a big deal of like calling out you're empathetic, you know? Um, and then the scene, it's interesting because this movie does have uh, two, I would love to see the breakdown of who wrote what, because it has two female writers and one, one male writer. So I'm curious, like how the script actually came together, who did what and what versions, you know, became what they filmed but um like even in that scene where they're trying to pick out the female agent to go undercover and it's you know like it's super uh um what's the word sexist (laughs) yes there's another word i'm looking for though it's like super i mean if hr were there objectifying (laughs) sexual harassment Harassment, that's uh... the word it's super definitely sexual harassment like to the hundredth degree um but they try to soften that by also like doing that with the captain and stuff yeah they they (laughs) They try to balance it out i think that they're there's there are attempts in this film they're not Mm -hmm. they're not deliberately trying to be sexist they're i think that they're they're points of this film where they're making very sexist jokes that the film doesn't particularly question Right. Right. So it doesn't quite. So like the discomfort, one of the most uncomfortable sections for me is the one where all of the male um, agents are standing around watching the footage uh, as she is in the dressing room. Yeah. Right. And that's really fucking uncomfortable. And I kept on thinking like some of the stuff that, you know, was said about Donald Trump walking Mm -hmm. into um, dressing rooms during beauty pageants and things like that. And it's and the thing is, it's played off as a joke. It's just like, oh, I can't wait to watch this, like all of that. But at the same time, you get this balance of the women actually taking care of each other and helping each other. And right. I I do wish I, I would hope that if this kind of movie was made now, that they would actually, you know, those men would get their comeuppance for behaving that way. Whereas now in the film, it's very much played off as it's sort of a silly joke or whatever. Mm-hmm. But at yeah. the same time, they you're right. They do try there's an acknowledgement of the sexism of the system to begin with, right? right. The FBI is sexist. Yeah. Um, the Benjamin Bratt character gets promoted, even though he's an idiot. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, all, all of those things. She gets punished for having empathy for like actually 
deciding to to be a good person basically (laughs) instead of a good agent um she is constantly having to prove herself as an agent and as a result basically has to shut off a part of herself part of her being female basically um in order to be taken seriously and to be treated seriously and even then she's not treated seriously Mm -hmm. so the film has this interesting kind of back and forth a little bit that never quite goes far enough i think but is still making attempts <laughs> yeah yeah i would agree with that and and that's what i think is so interesting about watching it now is like at the time i didn't really think that much about it you know but now it's like no they need to yeah they would definitely i would hope like if susanna fogel was making this movie now <laughs> yeah <laughs> first of all it wouldn't all be male agents in the room no <laughs> so there's just a lot of things that would be different nowadays. So I don't know. Um, also watching it from a 2020, I guess three now, not 2022, but a 2023 now lens. Um, the way that Bullock plays Gracie at the beginning, I noticed as kind of queer coded almost. Um so I, you know, if they did remake this, I hope that it would be like a lesbian love story um, opposed to just, you know, there's nothing yeah, wrong the, with great love stories. But I would just the way I like, I don't know, I just kind of picked that up early. Yeah, on. the 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 romance with Benjamin Brad. It's interesting because we were initially talking about this as like a romance action comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And but the romance with Benjamin Brad is very much kind of shoehorned in there. It it's really just is. Like, yeah. And by the way, they have like a relationship. It was just like why like there's not really that much of a connection between the two they they like each they obviously like especially as the film goes on they like each other they're good friends right Mm -hmm. but there isn't that that impression of like a real romantic connection in any way whereas she does have really good relationships with some with some of the women she 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 becomes really close friends she becomes really defensive of them Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, I will kill anyone who tries to hurt them. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, you could definitely read this as more queer coded and the, the kind of the, um, the brat relation then becomes sort of the secondary thing that we're like, and she's not really a lesbian. It's just like, well, but she could be. Yeah, like, why is it? It would be fine. I remember there actually was a scene that got, it was in the, the trailer, but it got cut out of the movie. Um, and and honestly, I don't know what the context of that scene was and where it would have even fit because it's basically she's at a wedding and she's like, I think it's supposed to be her sister's wedding, and she's standing next to her dad. I think is that I think that's who it is, and he asks her, "Are you a lesbian?" And she goes, "I wish," and that didn't make it into the movie. <laughs> so let Sandra Bullock be bisexual, like, right? Just- <laughs> exactly yeah but i i do have to say in terms of this film this is a film that i've seen a number of people comment on this this is a film that succeeds where it does because of the cast yes right and because of her she first of all like she has some great one-liners she balances things really well the she obviously hates the amount of work that she has to go through in order to be like presentable as a beauty queen. Right. Mm -hmm. And she despises it and she never doesn't despise it. There's never a point where she's like, this isn't stupid. She, she, in fact, is constant. She's constantly trying to eat and people keep taking food away from her. 
Yeah. You know um, what though, that's interesting is I think that there are a couple moments that where she she definitely isn't on board with everything that it takes to do this, but there are a couple moments when she is like all dolled up, she's up on stage, and like when the sailors are applauding her and stuff, and she's kind of laughing about it, but you can tell there's like something in her face where it's like mm-hmm. she kind of is like she feels good. And so I think that's interesting because it's like, I mean, she is a beautiful woman, obviously. Um, but it's like, she's never, she's never been looked at that way. Um, and even though she knows that this whole thing is ridiculous and sexist and very dated, um, there's still something about her that kind of just responds to that of like, "Eh, this is is actually kind of a nice experience. And I, I appreciate that she, Sandra Bullock, like incorporated that into the character. So um but yeah so let's uh let's talk about michael kane and candace bergen and william shatner being the uh the senior <laughs> veteran actors in the in the cast i love how dumb william shatner's character is yeah oh, so good <laughs> he's so funny he's just so like like he's such a relic in like his character is just such a product of a different time and he makes all these dumb jokes and he's just completely clueless about what's happening he's about to get fired because of his age yeah um and so is candace bergen who is the evil genius behind everything that's going on um Cortland, did you have some thoughts about candace bergen other than that, uh, she's absolutely brilliant in this. Um, and I never thought that she, uh, at, when I first saw it, I mean, I hadn't seen Murphy Brown, um, but after watching that now as an adult and, and going back, like the range, the comedic range that this woman had, being able to play, you know, spoiler alert, a villain like this, um, is is great i think she's brilliant um and the way that she's able to like dress people down <laughs> just with like a look and and but so subtly nothing nothing too too um over the top but yeah i just i absolutely thought she was made for this role and i don't know somebody else probably could have played it but not as well as her yeah. I, we we talk a lot about how the patriarchy couldn't exist without women and Kathy Morningside <laughs> is the perfect example <laughs> true, yeah. how that is yeah. true <laughs> well but I I think that there's also there's a little bit of that that undercurrent of you know she's contributed to it but she's also been a victim of it yeah and yeah. And, she, and she is a victim of it because she's too old now she's being driven out of this thing that she created and um and that's that's what sets her off and that's what ultimately you know kind of results in her going bad or whatever um so again it's one of those and i don't think the film doesn't really explore this particularly but um but it does also make that that point about this whole system is very much valuing youth and beauty and a very particular kind of youth and beauty and when you get too old you're going to be thrown out along with everybody else right and you're going to be and and that's not fair, right? But that is that's the system. That's the way the patriarchy yeah. is going to continue to operate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and then we have Michael Caine, which we've already established. He's a dick. <laughs> One of the things that I love about Michael Caine's character in this, though, as Victor Melling, this you know veteran pageant consultant who got pushed out because of a mistake um, and because he lost one time out of 11. Um, but one of the things I, I appreciate about him is like, he fully knows that he's there with the FBI on a very specific mission. Like he knows mm-hmm. what is, what he's there for. And yet he is so embedded in the whole idea of the pageant consultant role that it's like, that is his only priority. He doesn't care <laughs> that they're investigating a potential, you know, um, assassination or whatever bombing, um, like he's just in it for the pageant <laughs> and like toward the end when she, when Gracie realizes that the bomb is in the crown and she's trying to tell him and he's just like, yes, it is. It's the crown. You're right. Like go on stage, <laughs> be the crown. It's like, he just can't see the reality and the weight of what they're actually there for. <laughs> well, and I, I also think we we have to know with the with the casting of Michael Caine is the <laughs> most appropriate against type casting. Yes, yeah. because that especially in the year two thousand, like Michael Caine is the tough guy. Michael Caine mm-hmm. is the like badass Cockney. Like that is who <laughs> Michael Caine is, and to cast him as the gay pageant consultant <laughs> in Miss Congeniality is fantastic. And I think he plays it really well because he combines that like. He's a cockney tough guy who is a pageant consultant and he is going to get her that crown no matter what. <laughs> yep, it's so true. <laughs> Cortland, any thoughts on Michael Kane? Um I also think too that like we were talking about queer coding earlier. I think how that how that or how his character is is portrayed was kind of I don't know like now watching this in 2023 it it feels like a little dated but at the time you know this movie was very progressive on all fronts so I don't know I I really I appreciated what they brought to the Michael Caine character even though um you know some of it didn't always land (laughs) yeah one thing that I I um I thought was interesting was the so Benjamin Bratt as Eric Matthews clearly Victor thinks that he's hot because he is but um the way that he's obviously yeah he's uncomfortable about this but he doesn't ever make it like a really big deal (laughs) he just tries to like uh, like exit the situation (laughs) so yeah. There, there is just something inherently humorous about Michael Caine teaching Sandra Bullock how to walk and yes. like yeah. walk like a like a woman, walk like a pageant here. Yeah. not walk, glide. Yes. <laughs> so we, I know we need to move on to our final movie, but I just also have to shout out Heather Burns, who plays yes. Cheryl from Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and we all celebrate April twenty fifth thanks to her. <laughs> <laughs> She's right. She's she right. right. That is the perfect date. It so, really is. Yeah. <laughs> it really truly is. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Um, so the last movie we wanted to, to talk about, this is very recent. This is The Lost City, which came out last year. Was it last year or two years ago? Now I can't remember. This year. Tw- or 2022. Yeah. 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 2022. Um, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. this one is uh, Sandra Bullock now plays a romance novelist named um loretta sage and she is on a book tour and gets kidnapped by harry potter um by daniel craig 
And um, Daniel Radcliffe? Yeah. Yes. Daniel Radcliffe. Did I yes. say the wrong name? What you said I say? Daniel Craig. Oh, did I? <laughs> Although I would be down for that as well. That like, would also be the- great. Yes. <laughs> Daniel <sequel>. Radcliffe. <laughs> um, and her cover model, Channing Tatum, goes after her to save her. Um, and so this is the movie that I thought Shotgun Wedding was going to be more like. And I think it wants to be, but it just, it isn't. Um, This is very much inspired by Romancing the Stone from the 80s with uh, Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. Yeah. um, Which is also great. I like that, I personally like that this one is clearly inspired by that, but isn't just a straight up remake of it. It does do enough to establish that it's very much its own thing it's it's very modern and all that so um what are what are your all thoughts about it i love this movie um i yeah i i think that it one of the things that so like romancing the stone is in its own way sort of a satire right Mm -hmm. there because it's using all of those romance novel tropes right and it's putting a romance novelist into the middle of her own romance novel basically And so this one almost takes it even a little bit further than that, where you've got her and her cover model and all of, you know, again, going back to some of the things we were talking about, Miss Congeniality, all of the assumptions about people. Mm -hmm. Um, And in this case, a lot of it is the assumptions about Channing Tatum (laughs) and about like who he is. And there's some wonderful scenes between the two of them where he's just like basically being like you know this actually means something to me being that you know I feel valued I feel like you know this is the kind of person I want to be he wants so badly to be that person Mm -hmm. and it's sweet it's very sweet and adorable and it kind of reveals more about you know her assumptions about him our assumptions about him um and about the film itself that like you've got these these two uh characters who are tropes yeah. Right. And actually wind up being more than that. And we get to actually see their characterizations and um, and at the same time, this very ridiculous story that is basically straight out of a romance novel about the lost city and all of and, you know, FBI agents and supervillains and things like that. It's it, I think it strikes a really, really good balance mm-hmm. toward to like really showing the the true nature of these characters and then at the same time having a lot of fun with a very ridiculous story yeah Cortland. so i am one of those people who actually really likes romance novels um i think that with romancing the stone they definitely poke fun at that idea as like you know most comedies about you know, if there's a romance novel joke, it's always like about these frumpy old women or, you know, how unrealistic it is or, or whatever. What I really love about The Lost City is that they look at the romance novel audience and really give it dignity, right? That these are real people who just, you know, want a thrill or just, you know, want to have a female's depiction of love, right? And I, I really, really appreciate that you know, Sandra Bullock's character doesn't really realize that early on um, and, and definitely kind of resents her own audience and doesn't think of it as like real literature. Um, and I, I appreciate Channing Tatum's character for coming forward and kind of being like, no, these are like real people who, 
you know, <laughs> want to have fun and enjoy life and, and just read some smut because it's good and fun. And, um, I, I really appreciate them reflecting what I think like, uh, shows like Bridgerton and, um, you know, some of these more like female focused sex-based, uh, media is doing, um, and then throwing Daniel Radcliffe as a crazy maniacal villain in there is always always fun as fun as well I will say that this is directed by the Knee brothers who um, directed a movie that I was obsessed with in college called Band of Robbers which is like a modern retelling of um, Mark Twain's uh, Tom Sawyer so um, highly if you're like if you like the Lost City it's kind of a different vibe um, but definitely recommend that movie if you like this one Interesting. Cool. Thanks. I did not, I haven't seen it, so I'll check it it's out. It's got like Hannibal Buress and um, Stephen Lang oh. um, and Matthew Gray Goobler's there for some reason. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so something that you both touched on with Channing Tatum, what I really like about his character, there's a couple of things. Um, Cause yeah, we definitely uh, could just, see him as the the fabio like dumb model guy who isn't a deep thinker and stuff and and he definitely has some um not particularly bright things that he says that are funny um <laughs> like human mummies um <laughs> but um but i like how even in that opening like in the the q a that they're doing together when someone in the audience is asking him a question about like his favorite romantic moment he's like i want to hear from loretta and it's like he keeps trying to he keeps trying to be mindful of the fact that this is her book this is her tour and um so right from the beginning i i appreciate that about him and then later when he he talks about how he was really embarrassed at first because and he hoped that none of his friends would see it and nobody knew what he was up to being on the cover of a romance novel and then when he met someone who was so excited and he realized like i sh how can i be embarrassed about something when it makes people that happy like i just i like i like that um that they they do take the time to call attention to the fact that yeah that someone like him wouldn't necessarily have aspired to grace the cover of cover models but i mean cover books whatever i'm having a hard time with words but um, the covers of romance novels thank you yes <laughs> the covers of cover models anyway the covers of cover models yes. words are hard um anyway so but yeah so the fact that he that they would actually bring attention to that like that's not what he necessarily wanted to do that's not where he thought his career was going to go but it ended up once he realized that it was something that brought joy that it brought him joy too and I, I have to say that Channing Tatum has made a wonderful career out of very much appealing to the female gaze yep um and celebrating that and mm -hmm. being like you know and particularly as as an actor as a performer that's very much like women like to look at me and that is a good thing right and it's not a aren't i hot it's more like it's really cool that you get so much joy out of this yeah yeah um and and that's that's one of the things that i do like about this this character as well that he he's not honestly when i first saw the film i thought that they were going to characterize him as being like oh he's this stuck up um sort of you know like you say fabio type 
mm-hmm. who just like thinks that he's gorgeous and everything, but he doesn't. He's like, this is, I, I am symbolic of something, right? <laughs> yeah. I, um, you know, I like the fact that I am making other people so happy. And that's a really good thing. He doesn't think a great deal of himself, right? He's not really self-involved or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, it's very much about the, it's very much about the pleasure that he is giving other people. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, it's, it's really cute. And it also is, you know, I think people talk about Channing Tatum as, as being like the human version of a golden retriever. And he really <laughs> is that like, he is just so excited on, on screen, at least I don't know anything about him in real life, but on screen, he is so excited that other people are excited about him. <laughs> <laughs> and he's so not cool. afraid to be the butt of the joke, right? Like he, yeah. in, um, I just saw bullet train. He's in bullet train for a hot minute. Um, and he kind of makes like this, you know, there's a couple, I think they were tastefully done, but tastefully done, done, uh, gay jokes where he makes fun of sexuality a little bit. And, um, it works like it, it works really, really well. He was also in, um, free guy as well yeah. as sort of the same kind of <laughs> dude. Um, and, and you got to respect an actor who's, who's willing, who knows the effect that he has on people and is willing to make that the butt of the joke. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. He also doesn't ever like just in his career, um, he doesn't not ever, but he doesn't generally try to, um, go beyond what his capabilities are. Like he, not that he doesn't try to stretch himself, but that uh, I think he understands his limitations as an actor and he lives within that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want, well, I want to, to talk about in relation to one of your complaints about shotgun wedding, Karen, is uh-huh. the issue of age. Yes. Right. And you've got some shotgun wedding, you've got Jennifer Lopez in um, uh, the, the Lost Josh City. You've Mel, got, yeah. Yeah. And in the Lost City, we've got um, Sandra Bullock, who is significantly older than Channing Tatum. Right. And one of the things that I liked about The Lost City is the fact that she's, I don't think they ever say what her age is, but she's playing her age. She's Mm -hmm. not playing, she's not pretending to be a 20-something-year-old woman. She's not pretending to be a 30-something-year-old woman. This is a a 15-year-old woman. And she gets the hot young guy. And you absolutely believe their relationship. That is still so unusual in romantic comedies. In any films where the older woman gets the sexy guy and it's not even really a question like there's not like a oh she's so old for him it's it's very much like no they're two hot people that like each other like mm-hmm. go everybody like there there's and there's real chemistry i think between her and channing tatum and you believe their relationship by the end of the film yeah um and and that's really nice to see it's nice to like you know and again Sandra Bullock looks fantastic she is a gorgeous woman so is Jennifer Lopez but it sounds like in Shotgun Wedding Jennifer Lopez is not really acting her age she's not the age of the the character that she's playing right well this is the thing and I don't know if you've watched it yet Cortland but no I I, um, I did watch it yeah okay yeah so it very much was written I don't know who was originally supposed to play Jennifer Lopez's character but the original, the original actor that was supposed to play Josh Dumel's character was Army Hammer. Obviously, they had to recast it, but he's 36 and Josh Dumel is 50. And they didn't change the script 
um, to reflect that they were having older actors play these characters. They're very clearly were supposed to be younger because there's like a whole storyline about how he's like just turning 40 and his, his baseball career is over. And it's like, no, this man is 50 years old. His career has yeah. been over for a long time. Um, and then like with, with Jennifer Lopez, she, you know, the whole thing is like, she's just getting married. She was engaged before, um, when she was younger. Um, and, but it's like, there's this part where she's like whining and crying that she's scared to get married. And it's like, come on, you are 53 years old. You are hot. You are very successful. This just is not working. This just, it feels ridiculous. Whereas with the lost city, this is done right because the character that Jennifer Lopez plays could have been a 50 year old woman and it could have worked with some changes to the script. And that's the thing with the last city is they really did get that right. They, they didn't make her age an issue, but they also didn't make her like dumbed down or younged down so that she's playing someone who is obviously supposed to be younger than she actually is. I don't know what your thoughts were Corland. <laughs> so I, knew in the back of my mind that army hammer was supposed to play that role however i didn't connect the age aspect to it so now i'm like i'm like that meme where all of the math is going by that guy's <laughs> um it would have made way more sense if he were younger because she does have that whole monologue about like i am a grown woman i don't want to be like making centerpieces and like doing all this stuff and mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Duhamel's character is very much like into making this wedding great, which would have worked even better if he was, you know, younger, kind of like the puppy dog, little, you know, younger guy who's making all of making all these changes. And then it would make even more sense that he was intimidated by Lenny Kravitz. So yes, you're just blowing my mind. You're just connected <laughs> to that. And so now you're blowing my mind. Um, I think I think the age thing works, like you said, a lot better in The Lost City. Um, I, I think that just the, dyna- the dynamic works better there too. I think the characterization of Josh Jumel's characters and Jennifer Lopez's characters are almost too similar in a way. Yeah. Um, and I guess that is at the fault of recasting and then not changing the script at all. Um, because you have such different characters between Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, it just works a lot, a lot better. Um, you know, opposites attract and opposites also can like take down, uh, British colonialism in a (laughs) South American country. So, which that's kind of something that I think we need to touch on too, with these movies, like the, the, how people of color are portrayed a little bit. Um, there's a couple jokes in the lost city where that's acknowledged, but nothing that's too, you know, nothing that really gets mm-hmm. part of the issue. Yeah. That's one thing about the lost city that I wish that they had done a little bit more of, and they, they end up incorporating this as kind of the resolution where, uh, Daniel Radcliffe's character is this very wealthy British guy, um, who, bought the you know bought part of an island just so that he could destroy it basically (laughs) yeah and and the fact that he did that there are indigenous people on the island who have very strong opinions about this and one of them is part of his team uh i don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it go watch it on paramount plus or i think it's also on amazon prime now but 
Uh, but anyway, that ends up factoring in, but it's never directly addressed that he, like exactly what he's doing as far as destroying this island. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just kind of, it's a little, and, and like the history and culture, it's just kind of blown off a little bit and he's, you know, paying off people and stuff. And, and I, I think that I, I, as much as I love the lost city, I think it would have been just that much stronger if they had actually like called that out a little bit more called that out or you know had i mean i i love the trio that is daniel radcliffe sandra bullock or channing tatum it would be interesting to see what this movie would be if it had people of color behind the camera and in front of it a little bit Mm -hmm. more as Mm -hmm. well and more prominent roles not just like i do love beth yeah i was gonna say the amazing (laughs) divine joy rant uh randolph yeah she is so great (laughs) yeah yeah well a a lot of it very much relies on some of the tropes about um uh, the romance novel tropes about the kind of exotic locations pretty white people going to exotic locations and falling in love kind of thing um and it's it's very uh as as a result yeah you you begin to question some some of the things that's actually being portrayed because just like hey there are actual human beings who live there and exist there and that you're sort of invading their space yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah um all right so any final thoughts about the lost city um before we move on I I like the fact that, you know, looking at the entire arc of Sandra Bullock's career, she has been in so many different films and she's often been kind of maligned in some ways of like, you know, she often plays, she's, she did a lot of romantic comedies in the 90s and the aughts. Um, she often kind of gets sort of treated as like the secondary actress and everything. Um, you know, even when it comes to something like The Blind Side, there are all kinds of problems with that. But she is so charming. She's so likable on screen. Mm-hmm. And she's likable, you know, again, is this beautiful woman who's also some very often plays characters who are a bit of a mess. And I, I like that, that she sort of portrays these, um, these light characters who at the same time are very empathetic or very sympathetic for the audience and uh and you know get their happy ending all of that is really pleasant and i'm i'm glad that she's continuing to play those roles yeah i agree Cortland, any other thoughts um well i didn't have a nice you know little wrapped up bow like lauren had about uh <laughs> like i was just gonna say that with the lost city i i agree um with you know what you guys have been saying about about why that movie works. I do really want to just shout out some of the secondary performances in that, like Divine Joy Randolph and Bowen Yang has a really great um, <laughs> bit at the beginning. Uh, I will watch anything with Bowen Yang in it. Same with Patty Harrison as the social media manager. I loved every time she was on screen. Um, I think what's really interesting about Sandra Bullock is that, I mean, I again, not to make this about my age, but I feel like I've kind of grown up as her career has gone on. Um, and so like, as I've gotten older, like, you know, m- more of her stuff has come out and um, and and just seeing the evolution of her career as I've aged has been, has been interesting. Um, yeah, where she is right now with her career of, of like having played so many romantic leads that are now 
where she's not doing that as much. I, I feel like in The Lost City, she she has this kind of, like you said, archetype character persona that is like maybe two steps different from the character she played in Ocean's 8. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know where she goes from here. I, I, I hope, I know she'll go somewhere. She's amazing. I'll watch whatever she does. Um, but this this evolution from Speed where it is kind of, a one-dimensional caricature of a woman to something that's way more complex and interesting like we see in the lost city is is pretty pretty wonderful to watch yeah mm-hmm. oceans eight was a movie that we wanted to to talk about but we've gone on longer than i yeah <laughs> than i thought Except, we would and it's i good. will say that sandra bullock and kate blanchett are in love with each other they are girlfriends they are. in that movie oh, i very much. do not know why people have denied it it's just a fact that's all. People deny it because they're not actually paying attention or listening to the dialogue. <laughs> that is it. Was <laughs> so many stupid arguments about them. I'm just like, no, they're 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 lovers. That's what they are. They're girlfriends. What mm-hmm. are you talking about? Yeah, I like, feel like there's a huge percentage, not a huge percentage, but maybe like 30 to 40% of like Sandra Bullock movies that could be a lesbian love story if they had the balls. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Miss Congeniality is one of them too. I agree. And the heat, which were you guys going to talk about the heat at all? The oh, the no. heat, is a, the heat <laughs> yeah. is a very good one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Very similar. Uh huh. That's so true. Yep. Let Sandra um, Bullock have a girlfriend. That's all I have to yeah. say. Exactly. That is all anybody wants. Anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody would be happy if Sandra Bullock had a girlfriend. Everybody. Yeah. 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 It'd be world peace. <laughs> yes i like i like the way you brought that back around that was good yeah yeah you're welcome. <laughs> that's why i'm here <laughs> so um really quickly before we we kind of finish up we wanted to talk a little bit about what we've been watching recently and um specifically i think lauren and i both want to talk about poker face <laughs> i love yeah. poker face yes <laughs> yeah us. yes I, I, I mean, I think that this this is something that I've, I've just managed to like watch the, I think I, I have one episode. I haven't watched the most recent episode, okay. um, but I'm just very excited about having a female Columbo yes. um, who's also not Columbo. Like, I like the fact that it's yeah. obviously very much influenced by Columbo, but not is not just like, oh, we're going to gender swap Columbo. Um, it's such a fantastic show and I have been continuously entertained by it. The most recent episode that I watched was the one in the retirement home (laughs) and I (laughs) fucking loved everything that happened in that, (laughs) in that episode. I was so on board with just everything. Uh Um, Natasha Leon is, is marvelous. I, I don't know if there are plans for this show to continue after the, the initial 10 episodes. I really hope there are because I really like her and I like her character and I want to see her like crossing the country, leaving a trail of murders in her wake uh because she is definitely causing a large number of these killings and i want to know when she's going to figure that out uh yeah i i I just uh, adore it it's on um it's on peacock and i think that if you don't have peacock get it just to watch this show to be honest it's worth the five dollars it really is like get the ad supported one it's fine totally worth the money um and yeah it's it's um like you said, it's it's like a Columbo where you know 
the you know who did it at the beginning of the episode like every episode you find out okay this is the crime this is who's responsible and then the rest of the episode is her figuring out how it happened and why and who did it so um so we know before she does but it's really fun watching her figure it out and that's part of what makes the show so great Mm -hmm. and she also had she also has an influence on the killings. That's one of the things I love yeah. about it is that <laughs> yeah. you see how her presence has created the situation very often, <laughs> not always, not always, but often where there that leads to a death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Cortland. I love that. I can watch a murder mystery and it not be propaganda. Um, yes. Good point. She's yeah. not a cop, which, uh, you know, she's, she's, She's a drifter, um, which, you know, is makes so much sense for Natasha Leone. But I really do love that there's not um, a love of law enforcement there. Um, and and I, the the support, the, the people that they get on every week are just great. Hong Chow um, has a really great stent as a as a trucker and i think it's the second episode i accidentally mm-hmm. watched like mm-hmm. those three episodes out of order because of the way my tv was working oh no um, <laughs> no i watched the first episode first and then i think it jumped to three and then it went back i went back oh okay um okay. so i knew what was going on but like adrian brody pops up you've got judith light and um oh my god i'm blanking path of murkerson she's so good mm-hmm. um it just everybody and this new episode has uh Tim Meadows and um, Evelyn, is it Evelyn Bernstein? Uh, Ellen, Ellen, Ellen Barkin, uh, Barkin, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Ellen Barkin. Um, I loved that episode. I can't wait for you to watch it, Lauren. Mm -hmm. It's like Mm -hmm. really over the top (laughs) and they really lean into dinner theater. Um, And just, just highly love that episode. Um, But yeah, so I I definitely love Poker Face. I have um, kind of went through a, I don't know, like from like October to now, I just sort of wasn't really liking the stuff I was watching on TV. I didn't really like, there wasn't a lot, I guess. And now all these shows are coming on and coming back. And so this is just, it's just, it's really it's a show where the dog literally doesn't die. Like horrible things happen. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it, it, it's a, it's a bloody comfort show. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 And well, and um, it's Ryan Johnson who he's really, one of, one of the things that makes Ryan Johnson such an interesting filmmaker and storyteller is how observant he is and I know a lot of storytellers are but he's particularly astute when it comes to reading the tea leaves of what's happening in the world and then putting that into his projects and he does that really well with Poker Face um he doesn't direct every episode but he certainly is the executive producer and has a hand in all of them he's the showrunner and it's uh it's so it's really fun like he's already such a fun storyteller but it's really fun to get something that is like weekly episodes, like kind of the weekly peaks into his brain. And I love that um, even though we start off every episode knowing the crime and who committed it, there's always still something to discover along the way. And, um, and just seeing the messiness of people and, and their, their motives and stuff. It's, it's always, it's always smart and always surprising. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in it. He's not on yes. yet. <laughs> I think he's in episode nine. Okay. Wow. Yeah. He's going to be in there at some point. He has to. At some he's point. In every Ryan Johnson project. Yeah. <laughs> in some capacity. Though, Karen, you were the one who told me where he showed up in Glass Onion and it blew my mind because we saw that at Middleburg together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's, he's, the he's hourly dong. He's, he's the hourly, hourly dong. dong. Yeah. <laughs> I still love the fact that um, it was gong in the script. And then um, Edward Norton said dong at one point on accident. And he's like, oh, shoot, we have to fix that. And then Ryan Johnson was just like, nope, it's dong now. <laughs> anyway, um, anything else anybody's been watching that you wanted to mention really quickly? I I mean, I love The Last of Us. Uh, I oh, never played, so good. I I never played the video game. Um, I'm not a big video game person, but I did really really love The Last of Us. Um, I I what I think is so interesting is that how they're able to build up your attachment to characters in such a short amount of time is is a credit to the writing and, and the act in the performances. Um, you go on a whole journey in episode three with um, uh, Murray Bartlett and uh, Nick Offerman. Nick, I almost called him Ron Swanson. Um, Nick <laughs> Offerman. Everyone uh, else you're talking about, if you say Ron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as this very unlikely couple of people who are forced together um and you know you go at the beginning of the episode from knowing nothing about them and not even they don't even get a full episode they get not 80 of an episode and you start out not knowing anything about them and by the end you're like completely sobbing to a linda ronstadt song mm-hmm. um and this past episode did the same thing with two characters henry and sam and you just fall in love uh, i love that this show also is continuing Melanie Linsky's like streak of greatness. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. She's amazing on Yellow Jackets, which I can't wait to come back uh, in in March. But she has an arc, like a two or three episode arc, uh, on The Last of Us as a rebel organizer for, um, I guess, this newer regime that uh, is just as bad as the old regime uh, of this Kansas uh, of Kansas City. And she's like the perfect definition of, you know, the, the Karen archetype that is just as terror, like the way she says things with such like a lilt in her voice and it's so high pitched and yet it's terrifying. She has a line that's like, um, children die all the time. And you're like, I had chills like run up my spine. Um, I'm glad that she's finally getting a little bit of credit. Uh, cause she's deserved it for like the last 30 years. So, um, <laughs> anyway, I uh, highly recommend the last of us on HBO. Yeah. It's, it's a great, great show. It really is. Um, all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things up this week. Uh, we went a little bit long and I have enjoyed every minute of this conversation. So yeah. Carlin, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's been great to have you here. So, um, thanks we, for having me. And, um, we would like to thank, all of our patrons who support the show and keep it going um that 
list is always changing and it's awesome. Um, so we would like to thank Ali, Brian, Connor, Estefania, Heather, James, Kathleen, Cariata, Matt, Michelle, MK, Monty, Nanina, Robert, Robert, Steve, Sharon, and Tao. If you would like to become a patron yourself, you can go to patreon.com slash citizen demon sign up. You get early access to episodes. We have some swag for you. We have bonus episodes, all kinds of fun stuff. So um, patreon.com slash citizen dame. We also do have our Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod and ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. We do also have a donate button on our website if you would rather just go that route. Um, and all of the, the money that comes in, it really just goes to paying for hosting and security for her website so we don't get hacked and stuff like that. So, um, but our website is citizendamepod.com and you can find all kinds of reviews. I'm still trying to finish up some reviews from Sundance. I'm sorry. It took a while. Life got in the way, but they're coming. Um, but I have some there already. You can go and check out, um, you can find, you can reach out to us if you'd like to. Our email is citizendamepod at gmail.com. And we are on the social medias. We are on Twitter and Instagram at citizendamepod, letterboxed at citizendame. We are a letterboxed HQ over there. So we have lots of cool stuff on our page there. Um, and we do have a Mastodon account, although I don't know if we're using it because I haven't, but it's citizen. No, we're not. <laughs> okay. Well, you can sign up in case Twitter dies, which it, I thought for sure last night it did. And I keeps I coming pre- back. <laughs> I, I predict that the Oscars is going to destroy it. Finally, if the Super Bowl doesn't today. The Oscars yeah. are, yeah, the Oscars, the Oscars are it's just going to crash. It's <laughs> yeah. just going to crash and it's never going to come back. That's my prediction. I can't yeah. wait. Yeah. So, uh, so Mastodon in the meantime is citizen team pod at mastodon.social. Uh, you can also find us individually. Cortland, where can people find you on the internet if they would like to follow you and hear more? Um, so I am on Instagram at four, like the number four Courtlandia, like Portlandia with a C at the beginning. Nice. Um, and then you can also find me on Twitter as at Port Courtlandia as well. Oh, and on um, Punch Drunk Critics. I do reviews on Punch Drunk Critics as well. Yes. And that's punchdrunkcritics.com? Yes. Excellent. And Lauren, where are you? I am on all of the socials at LH Business. And I'm on all the socials at Karen M. Peterson. So thank you all so much for listening. Once again, Cortland, thank you so much for joining us. We hope to have you you on again soon. And we will catch you all next time. Bye. I saw this in a movie about a bus that had to speed around the city, keeping its speed over 50. And if its speed dropped, it would explode. I think it was called the bus that couldn't slow down. What the? It's like speed too, only with a bus instead of a boat.